Hello and welcome to the Reverend Hunter Podcast. This is Tony Jones, the Reverend Hunter, along with my co-pilot, Brandon. How you doing, Brandon? Doing all right. I'm getting by. How about yourself, Tony? I'm good. I'm good. You know, Brandon, uh, one thing about the Reverend Hunter Podcast is uh, we try to make episodes that are evergreen so that people will, you know... Uh, we don't really talk about newsy items or um, you know la- the latest pop culture references or whatever. We're uh, we're trying to build episodes that could be listened to now and they could be listened to five years from now and they'll still be hopefully equally compelling because they're really about the intersection of spirituality, faith, and meaning and outdoor pursuits like hunting, fishing um kayaking hiking climbing all this stuff so and we're going to get into more and more of these aspects as we continue to record podcast episodes uh but even though it's evergreen it's it's i think impossible for you and me to record this introduction without at least acknowledging the pain that our city is in right now uh this this very day that we record yeah minneapolis is um is is going through a very very tough time right now and uh people are people are expressing it yeah i mean it was bad enough with covid obviously and now um you know uh we're having protests and riots and we're having um civil disruptions and we're having you know flat out crime uh it's been heartbreaking to see uh and i I just don't really have anything to say about it that's profound other than it's absolutely heartbreaking i lived in los angeles in 1992 when the uh the cops were found not guilty on the rodney king um trial and then you know the that city blew up and it was really crazy it was really crazy to be there in 1992 and now it's even it it, it hits even closer to home here having it happen in my hometown um so i know people are hurting and it you know it can also be weird then to listen to a podcast episode that doesn't mention anything about this doesn't mention covid doesn't mention people uh, protesting in the streets, doesn't um, mention the death of George Floyd. I I don't know what to say about that other than, obviously, we recorded this a while back, but also we, we all need a respite from the news. Like We all need a break and to, to take an hour and think about something else. Um, and I, I, you know, I do hope that this this interview with Mark Norquist, a modern carnivore, will be, I don't know, a, a, a helpful break for people who are listening to this right after we release it in the year 2020. Yeah, it's uh, it's even though it's a timeless show, there still is that timestamp, and it would be it. it it'd be impossible not to mention it. It's literally happening straight down the street from where I live now. So it's, uh, it's, it's, I hope this episode, like you said, brings some sort of escape for, for a little bit for, for anybody that's, that's dealing with this struggle right now. Yeah, that's right. That's exactly right. Uh, I want to thank everybody who reached out to me after the Darren Patrick episode. Um, listeners will remember, uh, that Darren was the guest on our last episode of this podcast, and it was recorded two weeks before he died, and then we released it two weeks after he died. Um, that was hard. It continues to be hard. A lot of people reached out and were very gracious about it, and I, I thank people for that. Um, well, to, to turn the corner now... Uh, for this episode, it's it's with a friend of mine, Mark Norquist. I've known Mark for a few years. He's been super gracious to me as I've tried to kind of enter into the outdoors 
um, world in the state of Minnesota. He is well established there. He has a very, very cool project called Modern Carnivore that is about um, it's about hunting and fishing. It's about the preparation of the meat. Um, it's about eating meat responsibly. We're going to talk about that stuff. He, he's really an absolutely wonderful guy. Here's something we don't, I, I don't think we talked about, but he actually made the videos that the U.S. Forest Service sends out before you go into the Boundary Waters. And uh, Brandon, tomorrow I'm going into the Boundary Waters. I am uh, completely jealous of you. And uh, reading your story last, your last story that you did on it, I know this next one's going to be great as well. So I'm, I'm excited for you to go, even though I won't. <laughs> well, dude, <laughs> I mean, we are doing the Grand Portage, which is a 10.3 mile portage. That's uh, that's brutal. That's, that's insane. Yeah. 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 <laughs> so <laughs> if I return, I will be sore and we can talk about it. But Mark is a long time uh, journeyer to the Boundary Waters. We talk about Brainerd. We talk about his cabin that was built in 1919. Um, he's a wonderful guy. I know people are really going to love it. So thanks for listening. We would love to hear from you. If you like the podcast for you to rate it and subscribe and review, we'd love to hear your thoughts on, on guests you would like to hear on the Reverend Hunter podcast. Thanks again. Here is my conversation with the modern carnivore himself, Mark Norquist. Hey, Mark, welcome to the Reverend Hunter Podcast. Thanks so much, Tony. It's good to have you here. Good to be here. Um, I usually start out by asking people about their religious, spiritual, faith upbringing, just to set a little context before we get into your outdoors life. Um, how'd you, you grew up in central Minnesota? I did. Yeah, um... I grew up uh, going to uh, a Lutheran church, part of the ELCA, or uh, Evangelical Lutheran Church of America. And Com- a common thing in Minnesota very, to be Lutheran. <laughs> exactly. A very common thing in Minnesota. Swedish Lutheran or Nor- Norwegian Lutheran? No, that's uh, Norwegian Lutheran, I would say, culturally. So my mom is Norwegian. My dad is Swedish. Oh, boy. Uh, it's like a civil war absolutely. in your house. Absolutely. <laughs> exactly. So do you put, do you put um, what is it? Do you put like brown sugar on your lefse or white Ooh. sugar on your <laughs> No sugar at all if you're my mom. No, really? we just had this conversation over Christmas because uh, we were making lefse, the kids and I, at my mom's. And, uh, oh my gosh, sacrilege to put sugar on, on really? lefse for her. Butter? Yeah, uh, she puts a little butter, that's it. <laughs> <laughs> Ludafisk? You grew up with Ludafisk? I grew up with Ludafisk, you betcha. A Sweden yeah, and a Norwegian yeah. coming together. Yeah, wow, exactly. look at you. <laughs> but yeah, it was, you know, so um, very, uh, very Scandinavian-centric culture. Mm. Uh, my mom, 100% Norwegian. Um, she was a big part of that, you know, as, as a kid. She was the... Uh, uh, director of music for our church. Um, so, you know, we were very active mm-hmm. within uh, within the church community, um, you know, uh, and so, yeah, that was that was the upbringing. Now, Brainerd, uh, it's, you know, people will hear of Brainerd. And think, it's a resort town now, kind of a cabin country town. What was it like when you were growing up? Was it more of a small town, Minnesota you know, vibe. you know, it's it's always been small town. You know, I mean, it's it's still probably less than fifteen thousand. I'm guessing. I don't mm-hmm. know. It was around 12, eleven, twelve thousand population when I when I was growing up. But it's been a resort area that goes way back to, you know, the early part of the twentieth century of um, you know eighteen hundreds. Uh, logging was huge up in that area of the state for a period of years, like eighteen ninety to about nineteen o five. Uh, and then also in the, in the 1800s, uh, the Northern Pacific Railroad was headquartered mm-hmm. there. So their, their, their North American headquarters were in Brainerd. And so um, that brought people, that brought money, but it also was definitely a place for people to go because we had so many lakes up in that area close to Minneapolis-St. Paul, not too far away. 
And uh, so hunting and fishing became a big part of the culture and resorts sprung up and, and uh, people would go. Was it, was it just that like Norman Rockwell, bucolic, like you walking around in cut off jeans, barefoot all summer? And that, I mean, that's kind of what I would think growing up in a town like Brainerd would be like. Oh. You knew every kid. Absolutely. Your you age and... I look back on it now, my mom, who was a music teacher in the school system also, would have the summers off. So as soon as school got out, we'd move out to the cabin, you know, just north of town, not that far away, and we'd live there all summer long. So we just, yeah, absolutely, we're barefoot and in the water and, and, uh, you know, fishing and and just having fun. Tell me more about that cabin, because that must have been a big part of your upbringing um, in the outdoors. Yeah, absolutely. You know, um, the cabin was built in 1919. It was the first cabin on the lake. My great-grandfather and grandfather built it. Still to this day, still the same structure. You still go to that cabin? Still go to that cabin. My brothers and I own it now, share it across all three families. And uh, it is absolutely, it's where we come together. uh, Describe it. What's it like? What's it like if 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 I walked into it? Yeah. What would it be like with you? It's a simple little two bedroom, um, you know, cabin that's, that's not insulated. So it's just seasonal. Um, it originally was one bedroom with this, with a a porch on the front. The, the wall was taken out in the sixties and that was turned into the dining area and, and another bedroom. But it's about as simple as it gets. We've always had a rule, no television, no television there. So, um, so, um, you know. Wireless Wi-Fi router? (laughs) We do have Uh, Wi-Fi now, exactly. Last year. That is television (laughs) now, bro. (laughs) Last year, the cousins next door and us, yeah, we went in on on doing Wi-Fi together. So, you know, you got to be connected. I know, how old are your kids? Uh, Eight and ten. Your kids may never watch a TV. If my my kids (laughs) are ten years older than yours. They think a laptop is a TV. Right. They're like, they don't actually watch an actual TV. Right, right, right. <laughs> <laughs> I, I have to say, I saw, uh, saw uh, there was an outdoor article the other day uh, by someone who will remain nameless, but they referenced how these fish houses, it said they have bunk beds and they had color TV. And I said, who uses that phrase nowadays, <laughs> color TV? <laughs> Nobody really knows what that is. <laughs> well, yeah, it's like 1979. We got a color TV in our fish house. <laughs> well, that must have been... Now, tell me this. In the summer, you're out at the cabin. Do you drive back into town for church uh, on Sundays? You know, we would. Yeah. Uh, although, although, you know, probably not as regularly as, as we, as, uh, we should have. But yeah, <laughs> definitely. You know, here's, here's a funny thing. Actually, we have, there's a, was a plaque on the wall in the cabin that my dad either bought or received as, as a gift. And it's still up there today. And it says on it, it says, it's better to be fishing and thinking about God than sitting in church and thinking about fishing. (laughs) I love it. (laughs) (laughs) So that gives you a little insight into maybe, you know, my mom is a musical director at the church, a core part of of her identity. My dad was not the most regularly uh, attended uh, member of the congregation. Um, but was a big part, uh, obviously, I mean, that, that was how I started hunting and fishing. And so, yeah, you bet. I mean, we would living out there all summer. Um, I mean, we were fishing crappies, uh, most evenings going out in the boat with my dad, a little 12 foot Sears with a five horse Johnson seahorse on the back. And we'd go out and, uh, and find the crappie hole and sit there for hours. Just Hammering the crappies. Hammering the crappies and then go back and, and <laughs> clean, uh, clean fish all night long. Yeah, right, exactly. Right, and then right. have a fish fry the next morning. Which that is that right? Yeah, that was Fried sort of the routine. Yep, exactly. Yeah, that was the routine. Oh, that's awesome. And did you, um, other than fishing, did you also grow up hunting? Was, it, was that a place where you would deer hunt up there, grouse hunt or... So not there at that place. Uh, again, pretty fortunate uh, in terms of my upbringing and what I had, and we still have. My brothers and I still have. We have a, a hunting shack that's about an hour north of there. Um, and, and again, both basic, simple structures. The hunting shack is a one-room log cabin uh, that has no running water, no electricity, and um, is where we would uh, always do opening duck hunting. We would grouse hunt up there, and we would always do opening a deer hunting. Um, and then also, you know, we would 
take different trips. Uh, I've got a I've got a picture of being in Lacoparle County out in western Minnesota when I was probably four years old. I'm hold, holding up a, a, a Canada goose with my dad. Hmm. I don't think I shot it. I think he <laughs> shot it. But I'm but sure he let you hold it. He for let the me photo. hold it exactly. <laughs> so yeah, hunting was a big part big part of my childhood. Um, though not at that not at that that cabin. Now, when you went to college, a lot of people stop attending church when they go to college, or that's the time that they start to kind of drift away or question the, the faith in which they were raised. Was that a part of your journey? Like, take me from that bucolic, you know, walk to Lutheran church every Sunday in small town, central Minnesota to where you're at today. It's interesting you you, you mentioned that because you and I have never talked about that before. We've talked about different things, but um, actually, we kind of talked about your church uh, affiliation now and where you're at now. But you're right, never about those how you got from there years. to here. Yeah, you know? yeah. So my experience, to be honest, is just the opposite of what you just said. Really? Um, so I went to a small Lutheran college, liberal arts college, up on the Minnesota North Dakota border, uh, Concordia. And, um, and I would say that's where actually my, to this day, my, my favorite class I've ever had was a comparative religion class uh, at Concordia, hmm. where we uh, studied Islam, uh, Judaism, and Christianity. And it was just sort of fascinating for me to be exposed to these ideas and concepts, which, like you said, you grow up in small town, little, little town America, um, you don't get exposure to some different ideas. And so to sit there for an entire semester and going in deep on the major religions of the world and understanding different nuances, commonalities, et cetera, was fascinating. And so it was the first time, I think, for me that I had, um, from an intellectual standpoint, thought about, about religion, about God. And for a lot of kids, that challenges their faith. Yeah. Because they've grown up in their own little insular deal, and then they take this comparative religion class, and they're like, well, I'm only a Christian because I was born into a Christian right. family in a very Christian town. You know, you did did you even know a Jew growing up in right. no, Brainerd? No, no, no. And definitely not a Muslim. Yeah, right. No, exactly. And, and, and you're right. And so even to that point, I still remember somebody in the, in the class. So what was one of the things that was great about Concordia's class sizes. I remember this class would probably had 20 to 25 students in there. Mm-hmm. And so really good discussions. And I remember in the Judaism section, um, one, of, one, of my, uh, one of the other students, um, he, said, he said, you know, if I would have as a young person been given a choice, I think I would have chosen Judaism. And, and I understood what he was saying because as we were going through the, and learning about uh, the rit- ritualistic side of it, there was a lot of things that were really attractive. And, uh, and to your point, yeah, I mean, I think that is the part that, that scares a lot of people, upsets a lot of people, and attracts a lot of people, mm-hmm. um, is that exploration of of these deeper issues and having philosophical discussions uh, that um, that does you know open your eyes and causes you to ask to, for you to ask questions. Did um, did you keep up when you were in college and young adulthood? Was the outdoors still a big part of your annual existence? Did you keep going back to deer camp and stuff like that when you got out of college and you're starting to make a career and stuff like that? Yeah, really good question. You know, um, a lot of my work is in hunter recruitment, and um, one of the things one of the things that the data does show is that um, maybe similar to what you said about religion of 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 sort of migrating away is is uh, with hunting. The, the college age is also the time when people migrate away. Yeah, and and I wasn't too in different from that i think in some respects there were i think that was a time of life where i might have missed uh a duck opener or a deer opener uh, you know cuz you i was you know 3 hours away 4 hours away whatever to to drive back a you didn't have transportation are you going to take a bus how are you going to do it the logistical challenges were there 
And, you know, you're just, you're having fun at college. There's a party going on this weekend. Um, and so, yeah, I, there was a little bit of a drift. Uh, I wouldn't say it was big. I think for some people it would be, you know, for some it's been a complete disconnect. For me, it was a little bit of a slight drift. Um, it was also the exact, the same exact time my dad got sick and passed away. Mm. And so um, I think it was, it was complicated by that. Um, and also at the same time, I think reinforced the importance of, for my brothers and, and I to, to say, you know what, this is something that we did with him throughout our entire, entire childhood. It's something that connects us now and, and therefore we need to have a priority and we, we should keep doing Oh, gotcha. So, um, and how, how old were you when your dad died? 19. Oh man. Yeah. So like a sophomore in college or yeah. something. Yeah. That must've been rough. Yeah, it was, it was, uh, it was horrible. Um, my younger brother was 16 and, um, and you know, I think you don't at the time, you know, thinking back, you know, to when he was sick, um, I don't think I truly understood the gravity of it. Of, oh. You know, you were sort of, nobody ever died in your life. You sort of think, oh, you're just going to get better. Um, and hmm. so you don't, I think at that young age, at least I personally, I think I was immature in a lot of ways and I, and I didn't put it into the context enough of, of no, this is, this, this could be it. Wow. Um, so yeah, no, it was, it was tough. There were a tough few, few years there of where, um, of where, you know, when he was sick and then when, when he passed that it was, you know, that big loss hmm. for our family. Hmm. Hmm. Um, you get out of college, start to make a life for yourself. And as you're saying, I think that, that doesn't surprise me actually for you to say in your hunter recruitment work, there's a drop off in participation among people who grew up, you know, in a hunting and fishing kind of deal. It's the same with church. It, People tend, you know, you, we get out of college and we tend to move to an urban environment and get involved in more urban type activities. Right. Um, is that your, is that the way your life went or did you, like th this passion you have for hunting and recruiting others into the lifestyle, was that always there or was there some kind of epiphany? Was there some kind of like almost spiritual moment where you said we are losing people hmm. and i need to i this needs to be my thing i'm gonna help fix this that's yeah, a really good question how'd you get there you know what i'm saying yeah, yeah. like uh, to to jump ahead a little bit from from what I, we, where we're at i i look at what you do now with modern carnivore your work at recruiting and and retaining hunters and i almost see it like Mini um, your ministry, yeah. You know what I'm saying? Like yeah. it it parallels what those of us who are employed by churches do to try to keep people engaged in their faith. You're trying to keep people engaged or convert people to a to an outdoors lifestyle, right? Yeah. When did you start doing that? Like what what grew that yeah. passion in you? It's it's a really good question, and I I don't know if I've ever like voiced it exactly, but, um, I'll try to, try to explain. Um, so take those college years, my degree is psychology, or I got, I got two, two degrees, two, two majors, uh, at, at, at Concordia, uh, business administration and psychology. Psychology was my passion. I added business for practical reasons because I knew I didn't want to go on and get my PhD. Um, from that, I got into, I went into an industry that I stayed in for more than 20 years, which was motivation and loyalty marketing, hmm. okay? And, and the reason I went into that- Explain what that is a little yeah, bit. Yeah, yeah. So, a really good question. So, so it is utilizing, um, in the business world, utilizing the foundations of psychology and organizational development and others- to influence behaviors of people and okay. attitudes of people. Okay. So how does that practically roll out? What, is it, what does that look like? 
do you, are you part of a frequent flyer program? Yes. Okay. Or do you have a credit card where you, you know, get points get for points. that exactly. frequent flyer that program. all yes. came out of that industry. And so okay. that, that's what I worked in was that world. And okay. so we would do a lot of, as well as a lot of employee work of how do we get people, uh, ascribing to the culture we have, which is to always do your best, continuous improvement, focus on the customer. And so we used a lot of, a lot of principles to influence organizational behavior and practices to be a higher performing organization. And that included drawing people in, attracting them to what, what the mission was, engaging them in that and making sure they retain that in terms of their, their ongoing behavior and participation at the company or as a customer mm-hmm, by buying mm-hmm. the product. That was a separate world for me professionally and then I had my personal world, which was I am passionate about the outdoors. So okay. I'm always hunting and fishing. At some point in my middle of my life, I said, you know what? I looked at these numbers and I said, hunting is in decline, dramatic decline. And that concerns me greatly because I'm so passionate about that. And I think it is good for our culture for it to be part of it. And there's a lot, a whole lot, a lot of philosophical reasons for that. Mm-hmm. Um, I should take what I know professionally and apply it to this issue mm-hmm. that I'm passionate about. So what I did was took my professional education and, and practice and and applied it to my passion around the subject matter of the outdoors and said, how can we how can we change behavior and attitudes to be more aligned with the outdoors and how, how do we, so as an example, how do we get young people in an urban environment who have little to no exposure to the outdoors to not only appreciate it, but but say, you know what? I think I might want to go get a a bow or a gun Mm -hmm. and learn how to hunt, which is a pretty tall order. Yes. In the same Steep learning curve. No, I... We, you and I have talked about this because I'm, a, I'm an adult onset hunter and uh, it is intimidating to break in because a lot of people are like you. They grew up hunting. They grew up going to deer camp. I didn't shoot my first deer till I was, I don't know, like 47, you know, and I'd never butchered a deer before, but it wasn't even the butchery. It was the whole... Um, how do you even break into a group of guys who does this? Because they've been, well, I've been hunting with these same guys for 28 <laughs> years or whatever. Well, it's the, tough. It's like people, I, I will say, I hear the same thing for people who go to a church. And they're yeah. like, I went into the church. Yeah. And afterwards, everyone went to the Narthex with their styrofoam cups of coffee. And it's like, all I saw was the, everyone's backs because they were all turned into their little groups yeah. talking because they love each other yeah. and they've been going to church with each other for years. How do you break into that? Yeah. It, it It is tough. It's like a different culture, you know? You have to learn a different cultural language. It is. And that's where I put it on our own shoulders, whether it's church, whether it's the hunting community, whatever you're involved with. If If you culturally within those groups have a depth of passion and like you say, a love for each other, you need to be careful Mm -hmm. because the risk is that you create that insular culture that's not as welcoming to somebody who's new to it. And so with hunting, we are our own worst enemies in a lot of respects. And I've got an example, you know, that I bring up a lot from years ago at my deer hunting camp where we did it. And I was part of it, of my cousin who brought a friend to deer camp. And, you know, you dressed a certain way if you're going to go hunting. And Mm -hmm. he came wearing these moon boots. (laughs) (laughs) Be like a a guy walking in with Uggs or something today, yeah. And... And to this day, we still all laugh about that, and 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 that's that's the challenge, and we uh. need to and we need to to figure out because I think this idea of going out into the woods with someone else who has a gun, this deadly weapon, and you you have to put 
your trust in that person that you're that they're not going to do something dumb that's going to put your your life in danger is a very serious thing mm-hmm. and that amongst other things of I want to protect my great spot um, I don't mm-hmm. want people you know elbowing in on on my that's my place if it's public land or, or what have you all those factors play into not being welcoming to new people and we yeah. need to change that yeah yeah i mean you you hear the same thing when people go to church well i don't know when to kneel i don't know what page of the book to look on i've never heard these songs before yeah it's super intimidating and i think it's the same for hunting you know this this guy show, like did he ever come back and hunt again after you guys mocked him for his moon boots <laughs> no no he probably didn't <laughs> no because it, it's it, like you got to buy all this gear and you don't know what to yeah, buy and yeah. there's this you know it it's um it's tough to break in. So how do you how do you how have you created a community that's more welcoming for you know novice hunters? Yeah. What have you been like how, how have you well taken starts, steps in that direction? Yeah, I mean it starts with you know connecting with the right people and finding and the right people in my mind are uh those within the hunting community that are interested in bringing new people in and are therefore going to be welcoming and open arms Mm -hmm. no matter who it is to come in. Um, And then then engaging them and having them be part of different programs we do to to invite people into the hunting community. And what are the behaviors and the behaviors... And this is the the next challenge. So A is is finding who those people are. And then B is making sure they do the right thing. And the right thing is listening hmm. and not talking. <laughs> <laughs> and and there are there's there's so many examples of like I've I've known so many people over the years. They're they're interested. They say they're interested in bringing new people in, but then when it comes down to it, you watch what happens, and let's say you pair pair that up, them up with somebody new, and they're like, "Okay, let me show you how it's done here now," and then they're going to get very prescriptive, very quick, and 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 say, "This is what I've done, and therefore you should do it." Mm. When in reality, that person maybe wanted to hunt for a totally different reason. Mm. An example is, you know, oftentimes. The, the existing hunter, the, the seasoned hunter, believes that success is going to be measured by this new hunter on if they fill the bag or not. Do they get an animal? When in reality, um, a lot of new hunters nowadays, they could care less about shooting an animal and may not even want to and are going to have d- difficult questions about that. And therefore, they may just want to go out, walk through the woods, sit out in a blind... They may not even want to have a weapon and just observe. Um, and, and so what, ha- what you have to be careful of is, is that somebody who's, who is mentoring them or is guiding them, um, they're not obsessed with bagging something and putting pressure on that person because mm-hmm. that could actually you know, turn them off to the whole thing. So that's, I mean, that's one example of, you know, of many like that. I do see, I do wonder about that if there's these cultural changes going on in the hunting community. Like, okay, for one thing, and you've been deer hunting way longer than me. Like I've been deer hunting for four years or something. I don't get antler point restrictions. (laughs) You know what I'm saying? Because I don't either. I've been deer hunting for 35 years and I still don't get, I don't get them. (laughs) But guys are passionate. Like guys are like really mad when they're, when those are lifted and it's because they want to shoot a big buck Mm -hmm. with a big rack. Right. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So they can hang it on their wall. Yeah. And of course that's not why I got in hunting Right. because I never thought I would shoot a big buck. I shoot almost always shoot a doe. Yeah. Yeah. Cause I'm shooting it for the, meat i'm shooting it for the process i'm shooting it for the 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 hours and hours of sitting in the stand and it being a a spiritual thing for me which i want to turn to next with you but um it's funny because you even like watch a lot of outdoor tv shows it's all about shooting a really big animal yeah 
Like the bigger that I, I met with a guy from a, an outdoor network one time, and he was like, I, "We know what our audience likes. They like to see big things hit the ground." Yeah, yeah. And, and I thought, "Wow, that's that is a generation of hunting that they hunt like they do hunt for that." I know people like that, and I've been in their houses and see you know. But I do think a younger generation of hunters, even though it's a smaller group, unfortunately, are hunting for different reasons. Yeah, definitely. And I mean, I think there's generational, but there's also just difference, you know, again, the challenges, there's different sub-segments of the hunting Mm -hmm. community too. Um, You have a, you know, know, some people would identify as a trophy hunter. That's what they're going after. um, you know, and, and so therefore they, they are going to have, you know, they're going to promote antler point restrictions and they're only going to take the biggest buck. That's the only picture they're going to post out. And mm-hmm. once they get it, they're going to post the heck out of it. <laughs> um, you know, and, and unfortunately then it, it, it even sometimes, I think, I think it can sometimes promote a culture that then results in some unethical behavior. You know, mm-hmm. we just saw this recently up in Brainerd with this guy who shot there. The north, bear. The bear, yeah. exactly. Yeah. You know, and... And, um, to, and to, just to tell listeners, a guy basically poached a bear on Native American land where he was not permitted to hunt. And then, because it was too huge to drag out, he just chopped off its head and paws yeah. and left the yeah. meat to rot. Yeah. yeah, horrible, horrible story. Uh-huh. You know, and that's where, and, 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 and even along those lines, I mean, there's just so that's, we could talk for hours about that one situation, but you know, that guy's not a hunter. He's a poacher. That's right. You know, and, and, yeah. and unfortunately in mainstream media, a lot of times it's just like, here's the hunter who did that. No, he's not. I don't think anybody in the hunting community would ever claim that guy. Yeah. But I think that's where. He had to call his girlfriend <laughs> to help him haul the head right. out because he probably doesn't even have any hunting buddies because nobody wants to hunt with the guy. No, he was, he, he was using the gun. It was her ex-husband's gun too. Oh it was gosh. weird. There was a weird, it was a weird scenario. Yeah, this guy's no good. <laughs> but, um. But yeah, I mean, it's, I, th- I think, you know, it's, a, it's a segment and I wouldn't say, you know, I'm not a trophy hunter. I like lo- that being said, I love getting a big buck. I've sure. never gotten a huge buck. I got a nice seven point buck this last fall. Um, and I'm actually, I've never had a, had a skull, uh, beetled, so I'm going to have it beetled so I can put it up, do a European mount up on the wall. Which is where the beetles eat off all the flesh off of it. And it's just the skull and the antlers. Exactly. Right? Yeah. yeah. And so it looks really cool, um, but it's not the most impressive rack you ever saw. It's a nice one. Yeah. yeah. Um, but I mean, I, so I mean, I get it. And, and I think, you know, it's just, there's a lot of different, there's different motivations. And like you said, a lot of young people are, are coming to it from the standpoint of, of meat and that's why, you know, with Modern Carnivore, that name, when I created it, it was around the, the fact that, you know, if we want to bring new people in, I think it's an, un- to get philosophical, it's an unassailable position of if you eat meat, you can't critique hunters in any way because hunters are taking responsibility for that harvest. And if they do it in the right way, it's the most ethical way. And I would say for the animal, it's probably the best life they could live more so than in a traditional agricultural system. Um, and if you're vegetarian, we just agree to disagree on how we eat. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but even vegetarians, I know, will say, well, if you're going to eat meat, that's the way to do it. Yeah, absolutely. You know? that's, that's what's fun is seeing, you know, I've done podcasts and, 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 and I've talked to different people that have been vegetarians that are absolutely like um, saying, hey, I, I don't eat meat. But exactly like you yeah. said, I, I respect what you're doing if yeah. you do it in the right way. To be able to say to a vegetarian, well, I haven't purchased meat in three months or whatever because yeah. I got a freezer full of meat that I'm... Well, I, I want to turn it a little more personal and ask you... It um, hasn't been personal up to this point? <laughs> <laughs> a little more personal. Okay. okay. <laughs> no, I'm scared where um, this is going. Um, well, you know, I know, um, I'm not going to out you or whatever, ask you to name your church or anything, but I know you have, like a lot of us at our middle age, yeah. have some, have kind of an ambivalent relationship to organized religion and church. You're still involved. Mm-hmm. You, you, you and your family are still involved. Yep. You got little kids. You take them to church. But I know that you're not like, uh, you know, you also have your questions about, mm-hmm. if not the faith, 
the way that church is going these days. Mm-hmm. How does how does the out how is the outdoors spiritual for you? Hmm. And and to put a finer point on it, like how do you talk to your kids? Because I know you take them out, yeah, and they're little burgeoning outdoors persons. Where is that merger between this traditional faith in which you were raised Mm -hmm. and your real passion in life of being outdoors and getting other people outdoors? Mm -hmm. Hmm, A lot to unpack there. Yeah. (laughs) Well, take it any way you want, or even tell us about, is, is there a moment you look back on where you had some kind of a spiritual experience in yeah, the woods or yeah. something like I that? Yeah, I mean, I think, I, I do think, I mean, I think it is probably the best place to have a spiritual experience. Um, and, you know, that's that's a generic spiritual reference to spiritual experience that a lot of people interpret in a lot of different ways and depends on, uh, you know, what your perspective is on God. But I mean, I think... Um, I think when you are out in nature, not only are you right, l- literally de- connected to this creation. I'll use that buzzword. That's good. Yeah. Um, but you are also um, oftentimes uh, with things like uh, foraging or deer hunting um, all, all aspects of, of these outdoor experiences, but definitely some more than others. You are in a very quiet state. You are, again, connected directly to nature. You are focused on the external environment rather than necessarily just internal dialogue. And I think there's no other situation where you can be more connected to um, the reality of this place. And again, maybe because you'd ask questions like, how did this get here? How did I get here? So now you can, you know, you maybe go through that process, but then you also see the beauty and maybe ask, how did this, yeah, how did this get here? How, you know, is, ask the, you know, the quintessential uh, question, did this randomly happen or was it designed, you know? Um, and that's the big philosophical question. I think, you know, if you're, if you're talking religion or if you're talking spirituality and, and what you believe in is at the core to that. Um, and so, you know, I guess to your question of have I had a, can I cite a specific situation of a spiritual experience? Not, something doesn't come to mind right now. But like, uh, here, here's what here's one thing that I find a lot in my life. I'm 51. How old are you? 49. Okay. As of yesterday. No kidding. Yeah, Happy yeah, birthday. Yeah, thank you. Um, I'm glad I bought you lunch. Yeah. No, it's like that's my birthday. <laughs> that's my birthday present to you. Uh, I I a lot of times when things are happening in my life, I will now at my age, which I never did when I was younger, I will stop and kind of listen and reflect on it. And think, is this something I want to do? Hmm. Like, do I feel in gen- like in my, in my solar plexus, mm-hmm. do I feel good? Yeah. I want to go have lunch with this guy. Yeah. Or I, and, and a lot of times, you know, when it's outdoor stuff, I feel myself looking forward to the next hunt. Mm-hmm. I cannot wait to get my truck and drive to South Dakota to pheasant yeah. hunt. Um, and I'm trying to, what I'm, my point is I'm trying to pay attention to that. What are the things in my remaining years, however they may, many they may be, what are the things that I want to spend them doing? Yeah. And I'm paying more attention to that. Absolutely. I think, well, you know, you and I being, being And do you wake up on age? Sunday morning and think, I cannot wait to get to church. Right, right. <laughs> right. You don't and have to answer yeah. that. Oh, no, you're just saying. <laughs> <laughs> no, absolutely. I mean, I think when you have kids, I mean, I love seeing the, the church we go to now, different denomination than what mm-hmm. I grew up with. Um, I didn't even know of it until a few years ago. My wife and I, we were trying to figure out where were we going to, to have our, our, our family foundation for, for church because we want to have the kids uh, in that life. 
and um and it took us a long time and we finally found a place that we that we were and are comfortable with the people are phenomenal and it's and it's the opposite of what you said literally the first time we went there had somebody this woman come over she's like good morning you're you're not a regular member here are you you know and introduced herself and said hey we love having you here um doing the exact opposite of you know of the those the stereotypical situations um and i think um like you said um i again where we're at in our in our lives, I look at everything that way nowadays. Of of, and that's where for me professionally, it has to be purposeful work. Mm-hmm. If it's not purposeful work, I think it's a waste of time. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um. And 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 I try not to be judgmental, but when I think about some of the things that I did for years and 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 spent so much energy on. That I just look at and go, wow, it really didn't have much purpose to it. Yeah, and um, and so I think that's a good thing, and I think it's maybe it's again just an aspect of for you and I of where we're at in life. Um, but I think I, I I try to instill that in our in our kids, and and I and I think it's something that's good for people to think about yeah. is is that intentionality. Let me ask you this: if if you had. Um, how should I say phrase it? If you, you, when your kids are thirty, and you had to choose one or the other, would you rather if they were regular churchgoers, or you, would you rather <laughs> have them be outdoors uh, persons? They can't be both. Uh, oh, it's, you would, oh man, I don't think it, I can't answer that question. That's because there's such there's such different but intertwined things, and that's why when you'd asked about you know growing up, you know what was your what was your church upbringing, what was your outdoor upbringing, etc. They're just components of of my identity, mm-hmm. and are so different. It's like it's like. Would you rather would you rather breathe air or have blood flowing through your veins? <laughs> you know? I, yeah, I, I, gotcha. <laughs> All right. So you're trying to say they're both I mean, and this is of course the right answer, but that they're they're both part of a holistic life that yeah. you're trying to weave together yeah. for yourself and your kids and your marriage and your work life and everything else. Yeah. I mean, I think it's I, I think you just, it's impossible to choose. And I know that's not the answer. No, no, it's you good. Know, no, it's, I, it's, I sound it's a, like a politician <laughs> answering, you know, are you going to, whatever. It's all about the, it's all about just trying to, what I'm trying to figure out that I don't know if I've got an answer for is mm-hmm. how, how, how um, my burgeoning interest in the outdoors Mm -hmm. and my very traditional uh, religious upbringing both become part of my mature spirituality in my, you know, in the last, last third of my life or whatever, whatever I'm in. Mm -hmm. How do Mm -hmm. I weave those things together and how do they, what meaning do they bring for me? You know, that kind of thing. Yeah. No, I, I mean, it's, to me, so like I've made a choice in recent years. I had a very good professional life in, mm-hmm. in the corporate world, uh, um, senior executive level, making very, very good living, et cetera. And I was intentionally made a choice to leave all that. And so you could ask me the question of which is more important, you know, uh, meaningful work or profitable work. That and one's easy for that you one's to an answer. Easy. Exactly. I made, you made the choice. choice. I yeah. made that choice, yeah. you know? Yeah. Um, it, it, even though the, it is a di- it's a pretty difficult one, but for me, I, at this point in life, it's it's an easy one. Um, and so, um, so yeah. So, I, I mean, it's, it's, I think it's a, it's a difficult journey of a lot yeah. of intertwined things. Um, as a final word, what, what do you think you're on boards and you think a lot about recruiting hunters and 
it doesn't seem to be working. Not your, not, not your, I'm not saying your life isn't working, you know, but in, in, Boy, this is sort on, of a on the, you know, on the, <laughs> on the, you know, the numbers are not, no, they're not good. Turning around yeah, and, and yeah. most likely they're yeah. not going to as, as hard as you and I work yeah. at training people to hunt and fish and get people outdoors. Um, what's your big message right now? Like, what are you telling those of us who are engaged in outdoors activities to get other people doing it? I, I think it's the most important thing is welcoming people, but, but doing that through outreach, to be to be honest, mm-hmm. you're talking. This, it's like the, the it's theme like that of this lady, podcast. It's like that lady who came up to you in church Absolutely. and welcomed you. Absolutely, I was just going to say it. It is you are evangelizing the outdoors, and again, mm-hmm. I would say there's there's an aspect of that 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 those things are intertwined. I mean, there are a lot of there are a lot of church camps that are up in northern Minnesota, as an example, connected to the outdoors because we're like to what we were just discussing. What is the best place? To meet God is is in the outdoors, yeah, and right. so um, I would say, you know, from the standpoint of of um, of outdoor recruitment, yeah, it's just it's welcoming, it's 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 getting out and telling people, hey, you can do this, mm-hmm. um, and um, and and everybody's going to approach it in a different ways. So again, you know, kids' church camps get people outdoors. Sure, there's probably an atheist camp somewhere that gets people outdoors. <laughs> there are non-religious groups that get people outdoors. Different reasons, um, but I think just pointing to the the depth of 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 the experience, the richness of it that I've seen dozens and dozens of times with people who are new, where the light bulb suddenly goes on, and they're like, ah, I get it. Mm-hmm. This is so cool. Yeah. How yeah. do I get more? Yeah. And they become obsessive about it because it's a rich and genuine experience. And I think in this day and age, when we become increasingly quote unquote connected, but in reality disconnected from everything through technology, I think the human body is designed that it's going to crave that connection. And I think once we just expose people to that to the outdoors, that they will naturally be drawn to it, but we got to get them out there for that first experience. And that means reaching out, telling people about the great things and welcoming them into the community. Mm. All right. I'll keep trying. Okay. Keep thanks it for Thanks for coming on. I really appreciate it. Thank you, it's Tony. It was fun. Absolutely.